If you would, turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians in chapter 5. Ephesians in chapter 5 will be verses 1 through 7 this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. And uh, as you're turning there, I think it's important to remember that anytime we, we look at the Bible, uh, that the Bible is written to a specific people at a specific time in a specific place. And so in order to, to understand the Bible, we need to understand some of what the audience that it was being written to was like, some, some about the author. And so as you're turning there, we, we, we need to remember that, that Paul is writing this letter to a group of Christians that are in the city called Ephesus. And in the ancient world, people were a very religious people. And the towns usually had a, a certain God that they worshipped, little g God, that they worshipped as a town. And it just so happened that the city of Ephesus, where Paul's writing to the Christians in, was the, was the home city of the goddess of Diana. Uh, you may have heard of her as Artemis. And, and in this city, there was this temple to Artemis, to Diana. And the goddess here was depicted as a sensual, multi-breasted woman. And people were encouraged to explore this sensuality and their sexuality with uh, in regards to worshiping Diana. And so a common practice in that society would have been temple prostitution. It was normal. Uh, it was completely normal to see people partaking in prostitution, exploring uh, homosexuality and all sorts of sensual practices. And it is into that culture, the Christians of Ephesus that were in there, it's into that culture in which the city, the, the town, the culture elevated, normalized the perversion of human sexuality that Paul writes these words that we read here. God, God's word says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we do ask that you would use your word to shape our understandings, to guide our life, that you would use your word and your spirit to conform us more into the image of Christ, that we may live a life that honors you and glorifies you, in everything that we do. We thank you, Father, for your word. In Christ's name, amen. And so right off the gate, you kind of understand where this is going after we started talking about Ephesus and after we read this passage. And, and a lot of times when we, when we talk about things like this, uh, it, it, it can get weird really fast. It's a little awkward. Uh, it's not an area of life that the church always talks about or that Christians always talk about. And in some sense, that makes sense because uh, we, we are told in verse 3 that 
you know, immorality should not even be named among us as is proper among the saints. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that means. But when we as Christians, when we as, as Christians who make up a church, uh, don't talk about certain areas of life, what we're doing is we are saying that sphere of life belongs to the world and not to God. And what we need to understand is that when Jesus said, behold, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, he meant it. That he has authority uh, in our life and every aspect of our life. That he has authority over and above any government that exists, over and above us. That he is the supreme being, he is the king, he is the Lord of lords. And as such, as such, he has authority to speak into every aspect of our lives, including human sexuality. And so this is, this is what Paul has to say under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's writing to these Christians, as we talked about, who are in a culture that trivializes the things of God and elevates the pursuit of passion, the pursuit of the lust, and the pursuit of the flesh. You see, it's in this culture that Paul writes to, and and the culture then is not much different from the culture we live in now. Uh, We live in a culture that we're told to live our own truth. Sure, we don't have a goddess of our city called Diana or Artemis, but we do serve a God in this culture, a little G-God, and we call it self, the God of self. And the God of self says that you can do whatever you want, love whoever you want, and all those things, and and it's okay. The God of self, the God of this world, says that it is completely okay to have drag shows in front of children, and that is completely normal. That is completely normal and okay and unsinful for a boy to want to become a girl and a girl to be, want to become a boy. That is completely normal for boys to like boys and girls to want to love girls. You know, some of those things that we're talking about now, I mean, those are obvious, right? Like, as Christians, we should reject those things. But we need to also understand that there are more acceptable sexual sins that we tend to be okay with. Adultery. Looking around at another person's spouse or another person that's not your spouse. Or the number of Christians that think it's okay to go ahead and have premarital intimacy before you're married, before you follow Christ. We tend to be a little bit more accepting of that as Christians. We tend to be a little bit more accepting of people casually looking at pornography. We don't hear much about Christians saying things against that. And we need to understand that those things are just as evil and just as wicked as homosexuality and other things. That all forms of sexual immorality are out of place. And those things that were going on in Ephesus are the same things that are happening in our culture today. And the message that Paul has for the Christians in Ephesus is the same message that God has for us today. And that message is this. You see, Paul writing to the Christians in Ephesus, he encourages them to live a sexually pure life that reflects the holiness and love of God and rejects the sensuality of the culture around them. And so the truth we need to know today is that as followers of Jesus, we are called to live a life of holiness. A life of holiness that reflects the goodness, the holiness, and the love of God and rejects the sensuality of the culture 
that is around us. And as such, what we see in this passage is really there are three callings on us that help us to live a pure life of holiness. One of those callings is is that we are to imitate the love of God. Another calling is that we are to avoid sensuality in all its forms. And a third calling is that we are to remember that God's wrath comes upon the sexually immoral, upon the sensual. And so as Christians, we are called to live a pure life, a holy life. And that starts with understanding the call on our lives as followers of Jesus to imitate the love of God. Notice with me verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. The idea is that we are to be like he is, to model him. And more specifically, Paul starts to describe what he means by that. There in verse 2, and walk in love. And so it's not just that we imitate God. We are to imitate his holiness, to strive for his holiness. But more specifically, we are called to imitate the love of God. Notice there, verse 2, it says, walk in love. And what is love? Well, we see there, love is displayed by what Christ has done. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so we as Christians are called to imitate God, specifically the love of God. And God loved us so much that what did he do? He sent his son to die for us. He sent his son to become sin for us. And that self-sacrificial love is what we are called to imitate. We're called to imitate the self-sacrificing love that God has shown to us. The love that the scriptures speak about here is this love that, that God has shown us by sending his son who was perfect in every way, who kept God's law perfectly for us, died on the cross for our sins, rose again all for us. Even though we were sinners, he sent his son to die for us that we might know him, that we might walk with him, that we may know what true love is. You see, as we talked about earlier, Jesus has authority over all things. And sometimes we as people, we like to be the one that that defines things, to define what love is, to define what happiness is. But we are told in Scripture that to know love is to know Christ, that we love because Christ first loved us. And so we have this love that Christ has shown, and we are called to imitate that love. You see, this type of love, this holy love, is self-sacrificing, not self-serving. And so as followers of Jesus, we're called to live a life free from sensuality by imitating the sacrificial love of Christ. The sacrificial love of Christ. And the second calling on our life is that we are to live a life free from sensuality by avoiding sensuality in all of its forms. As we said a while ago, the the love of God is self-sacrificing. But sensuality is self-serving. That's one of the reasons we're called to avoid sensuality in all its forms. It's because it is a rejection of who God is. It is a rejection of the holiness of God and the love of God. You see, the world would say that love is found and experienced in all the immorality that you can find. But that is a cheap gimmick and a lie. True love is found in Christ who gave himself for you and is experienced 
in the proper way that God has laid out for us. Notice there, verse 3, it says, But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. We're called to avoid all those forms of sensuality and all its forms because they are not proper for Christians. They are out of place is the word that it says. It's out of place. Not only is it this, this sexual conduct, this sensual conduct that we're supposed to avoid, but it's also sensual speech. Notice there what it says, continuing in verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. So notice there how, it, how, how Paul describes sensual conduct and sensual speech as being not proper and out of place. For Christians, we are called to live a life free from all of these things because they do not reflect the love of God and the holiness of God in our life. And so by sexual immorality, what he means there in sexual impurity is just a general term that covers all sorts of sexual sins, including adultery, uh, including premarital intimacy, homosexuality, all sorts of basically any sexual relation outside of a man and a woman united in the covenant of marriage. That's really what he's saying we are to avoid. At its most simplest form, that as Christians, we're to avoid any sensual conduct that is outside of the confines of a man and a woman united together in marriage. That that is the only proper way. Anything else is not proper for the follower of Christ. Then he goes on and he talks about covetousness. They're, they're at, the, at the bottom. So you have sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. And we, we know what covetousness right, is, right? It's like greed. It's like jealousy. And so the idea here is that as Christians, we are not to covet what others possess, right? And in the context here, it's the idea of, of sensuality. And so it, it really what he's saying here is that this covetousness is really a desire for someone else's body, a lustful desire. Now, we understand what Jesus said in, in the, the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you, you heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you that even if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery in your heart. If you even looked at a, at a person with lust, you have committed adultery. And so we see there that even the, the sin of lust, that covetousness, is a part of this immorality that Paul is talking about, that we are to avoid because they are out of place. They are out of step. But not only that, we see the sensual speech there from the filthiness and foolish talk and crude joking. The idea there is just this filth that comes out of our mouth. A lot of times when we think of filthiness, a lot of times we know what that means, right? It's like cussing curse words, this filthiness that comes out of our mouth, that talking, talking inappropriately about the human sexual relationship or this foolish talk or this crude joking where you're joking and demeaning the sexual relationship. And, and one of the things is humor has a way of just sticking with you. And, and the Bible says that, that humor, that, that laughter is medicine to the soul. But when we joke about things that God holds sacred and when we trivialize the things of God, it is no longer medicine to the soul, but it is poison. It is poison. And so we are called to not even joke about the immorality 
that takes place. Notice there also it says that it's not even to be named among us, that this sensuality is not even to be named among us. It should be so far from us as Christians that people do not even suspect us of walking in the immorality. That people should not even have an inkling of that. But there's also another, another little application, implication of that is that our, we are not to have our conversations dwelling upon those things. Upon the, the sensuality that is around us in the world. Because this type of sensuality, it, it trivializes the, the sexual relationship that God intended between a husband and a wife that are joined together in marriage. And so we are called to avoid this sensuality in all of its forms because it is out of step. It is out of place with what it means to be a Christian. And so we are called to live a a pure life, a holy life, imitating the love of God, avoiding sensuality in all its forms, And thirdly, remembering that God's wrath comes upon the sensual. Paul here, he's writing to Christians and he gives them this grave warning. For you may be sure of this in verse 5, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. He's not skipping words there. He's he's just laying it down as is. Anyone who is sexually immoral, impure, or covetousness has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. There is no eternal life for those that persist in sexual sin and sensuality. Those that persist in sensuality are not followers of Jesus. doesn't matter how sincere you think you are in following Christ. If you do not turn from sensuality, Paul is clear, you have no eternal life. You have no inheritance in the kingdom of God because God's wrath is upon you. People will say, well, God just wants me to be happy. I, I, was, I was talking the other day, uh, nobody from around here, nobody from around this area, but they, they were talking about how they um, were, were counseling this, this guy and this lady who were having some issues, and, and the, the, the lady was wanting to be with this other guy who was another person's husband, and it just uh, it's a whole ordeal of what was going on. And the lady said these words, I really feel like God wants me to do this because God wants me to be happy. And that's one of the things that we misunderstand oftentimes as a culture, that God is more concerned with our happiness than our holiness. That you see, God is never going to call us to do something that is against his will. God is never going to call us to do something that goes against what he has called us to. And so sometimes we offer excuses. We offer rationality. Uh, we, we, we try to, to rationalize the most strange things that, that God would be okay with me running around and doing whatever I want because God wants me to be happy. But notice here, 
what this what this passage says. It says, let no one deceive you with empty words. You see, excuses for bad behavior or excuses for sin are just empty words. We must not be deceived by those things. We must lean back on to the word of God to describe to us what is right and what is wrong. And so excuses are just empty words that lead people to hell. But Paul's not just saying this right here. I mean, the, the concert of Scripture echoes the same thing. It's a constant refrain that we see throughout the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, or women for that matter, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Notice there all those lists of people who do not turn from their sin. If they do not turn from their sin to follow Christ, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And again in Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Or again in 1 John chapter 3 verses 7 through 10. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who, the, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. The Bible is crystal clear. No practicing sinner, no unrepentant, sexually immoral person has eternal life. But why? Because remaining in our sin, not turning from our sin, is an evidence of a graceless life. It's an evidence of continuing to be under your sin and rejecting God. Any person who is living in sexual immorality or sensuality is lost and has no inheritance in the kingdom of God or eternal life. And so the question we must ask ourselves is, are we living in our sins? Not just sensuality, but any sin. Are we living in sin? Do we think that our sensuality or immorality will go unpunished? Dear friends, God's wrath is upon the immoral. God's wrath is upon those who do not turn from their sin. But his grace is upon those who by faith turn from it toward Christ in faith. Is your sin of more value than your soul? You see, Jesus, he paid for the sins of all those that would turn from the sin and turn to him. What keeps you from turning to Jesus today if you've never done so? Dear Christian, as a, as a follower of Christ, as a follower of Jesus, you are called to a pure life of holiness. 
that consists of imitating the love of God, avoiding sensuality in all its forms, and remembering that, yes, God's wrath is upon the sensual. And so I want to leave you with some encouragement today because that last little part that Paul talks about really leaves us down. And it's good for us to feel the weight of our sin if there is sin in our life. That's good. But we need to understand that there is also grace. You see, we read that from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says, And such were some of you. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You see, we all once walked in our sins. We all once lived a life of immorality in any shape or form. But God has made us alive in Christ. And I want to tell you this today, that God didn't wait for you to get your act together before he sent his son to save you. Romans 5.8 tells us that God showed his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so note this today, dear friend, that God is the same today as he was yesterday and will be the same forevermore. He has sent his son to die for you to save you, to forgive you, and give you freedom from your sin, whatever it may be. And I can guarantee you this, that if you trust Christ, you will be forgiven. If you trust Christ, you will be forgiven. And by his spirit, you are able to live a holy life. You're able to live a life of holiness because in Ephesians 1, 4, we see that's why he chose you. That's why he saved you. Ephesians 1, 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And so before the foundation of the world, God said, I'm going to choose that sinner right there. I'm going to send my son to save him, to save her, and I'm going to make them a holy child of God. And we have this hope in Scripture, Philippians 1, 6, that we are sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So you may be struggling today, but if you're a follower of Christ, he will not let you continue there, for he is going to continue that good work in you. He is going to bring it to completion because God does not fail. So we as Christians have the power to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. And that's where it starts. What are you dwelling on? What are you thinking on? What are you thinking about? Think about the word of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, God's word, that we might know his good will. And so when we are struggling with sin, when we are tempted to sin, we are to turn our minds off of that sin and towards something better. And that something better is Christ and his grace, and his mercy, and the gospel. Colossians 3, 2, set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on the earth. As followers of Jesus, we are called to live a life that reflects the holy love of God, and we are able to because of the grace of God in our life.
And by his grace, we can reject the sensuality of our culture and follow Christ in faith. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you. We thank you that you're still working with us. Father, we thank you that you're not finished with us yet. That you are going to bring about the completion of the work that you have started inside of us. A work that started long ago before the world was even created. Father, we know that you are a good God, a big God, and you will never fail. And so we are leaning and trusting upon you and trusting upon your promises that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us, and that through you we can turn from the sin. That sin no longer has dominion over us, that we are no longer slaves to sin, but that we have been set free from sin through Christ. And so, Father, we pray that you will allow us to see sin for what it really is, to see sensuality for what it is, poison to our soul, that we might turn from it and turn to you, Father. Father, let, let us today know that you enable us and help us to live a holy life. Help us to remember that it doesn't matter the sin that someone's committed, that they too can be forgiven by faith in what you have done. Help us to remember that we can be forgiven by faith in what you have done through your son on the cross for us. Father, we are thankful that even while we were sinners, you sent your son to die for us. So Father, help us to live out the love of God in our lives and to reject the sensuality of the world around us that we might point others to a better way, the way of faith in Christ. In Christ's name we pray, Father. Amen.